Welcome to the Advanced Born Global podcast. I'm Johanna Pittman, CEO of Advanced.org, the professional network for overseas Australians. This podcast introduces remarkable Australians who have built their career overseas. We celebrate their optimism, creativity and resourcefulness to succeed across the globe. In this series, we meet the 2021 Advance Award winners. During each episode, I inform the interviewee that they will receive an Advance Award. Listen out for their unfiltered and heartfelt responses. I hope you enjoy getting to know more about these inspiring global Australians. In this episode, you will meet Pallavi Sharda, winner of the Arts Award in 2021. Pallavi is an international performing artist and founder of No Other Lab. With critically acclaimed performances across many genres, she believes that a multi-hyphenated identity is a superpower. Tell us about your day-to-day and how do you describe what what your career looks like on a day-to-day basis to, let's say, a high school audience? Oh, wow. Um, I, you know, it's something that I'm trying to pinpoint right now because <laughs> it changes so often, but it is very fluid. It really depends on whether or not I'm shooting something because when I'm on set and I'm shooting, my day probably involves a 4 a.m. wake-up and, uh, you know, anywhere between 12 to 15 hours on set first in a makeup chair and then shooting and then you're back and then you'll just get to bed and start all again sometimes you forget who you are when you're in those periods and I I just shot a film called Wedding Season that I was the lead in and I would just lose track of day night weeks um and you know it's quite fun because you you get into flow of a character and that's kind of what actors live for. We want those opportunities. But when I'm not shooting, particularly now in a pandemic where I'm somewhat stranded overseas, um, I, I'm very lucky. I get to I get to make my own day. So I do a lot of writing work, a lot of advocacy work, and I, I sort of check in on, on those projects. Um, but right now it's really important to take care of health and mental health. So I'm making time for... Um, wellness practices as well such as yoga and meditation and I know that sounds kind of cliched but it's so important and as an Indian I feel like I can claim that yoga is a big part of my life and always has been um and yes so I think for me it's it just changes and I think that's something that I always wanted when I was younger I I kind of abhorred a lot of structure and institutionalization of how I live my life so it's it's quite a freewheeling process right now. When you describe the day-to-day especially when on set it does sound really like it would take all your energy out and you're really in that moment but then you're crossing over to, and you mentioned your advocacy work and obviously we saw a lot of that in as we understood what you've been doing particularly over the last few years around um representation and other things can you tell us more when you think when you say your advocacy work what does that involve and and what are the things that you're really passionate about advocating on well I think it's I've always been someone that's quite um socially conscious it was very important to me you know for example when I went to Melbourne Uni Law School it was very important that social justice was a big um, factor in how I chose to do my research and all of the academic endeavours that were involved in that process. 
But something about why I went to India to be an actor in, in Bollywood was also linked to a desire uh, to give back to the country of my parents' ancestry or their birth and my ancestry because there was a sense that I grew up in a very privileged environment and my parents might have been migrants, but they were privileged migrants. They came to Australia under the skilled migrant scheme in the 80s and it afforded me so many opportunities which has allowed me to come to be where I am today. Uh, the one thing that was a hindrance, I think, in my career development in Australia was the fact that at the time that I was choosing to choose a creative path, being of Indian origin felt like an obstacle. And it's what precipitated my decision to go to India when I was very young to become an actress in Bollywood. It's, you know, it was a childhood fantasy, but there is a point at which that fantasy has to match with pragmatism and it didn't ever really get there. But I had no choice but to go in that direction and choose to believe in a fantasy because that seemed almost more likely um, in terms of becoming an actor than, than working in Australia um, at the time that I was thinking of changing into the creative field. So... I think now having been an actor in multiple territories and, you know, the power of having your face shown on screen, uh, a medium which is accessible to so many people, it's not lost on me that there are many young people who might have wanted to do something like that but felt that there was a glass ceiling placed upon them. So it's really important for me to be open about the fact that I had those experiences and had to persevere through them in order to give people the gumption to be able to do the same because it is possible and it's only if we unite and collectively push forth that uh, the tide really will change. It's really powerful and I should share that um, your name had come up for several years in, in the advance and the, the way it uh, works is we sort of we're always keeping our eyes out for who's doing really interesting stuff and when when it becomes normalized that you see people of all different ethnicities and and abilities and uh, on screen that you always wonder well how hard was it why was it so difficult and so <laughs> you you showing um you now advocating and and saying that you experience that it's incredibly powerful and it's heartbreaking to hear at the same time as relieving that we've moved and we've got to that next that next level. Um, you you've got this wonderful law degree and you've studied hard and and you'd make that choice to do something very different. Um, tell us about that, how that went down within your family and how you navigated that decision to not pursue a legal career and to continue in your in with your creative um, pursuits yeah it was it was a lot of impulse I'll be honest there wasn't a lot of rational thought behind it I am almost trying to find that part of who I am again now just being at new crossroads and a new juncture in the road um I just had a feeling, you know, my father always taught me about the power of intuition and I think that that was something that really guided me when I was a teenager and allowed me to do very well uh, throughout my, you know, primary, high school and tertiary education. However, when I did start to hit those um, ceilings very early on, I... Uh, 
it felt like the systems were against me and there was a systemic bias that I was going to be fighting against. And so all I really had to rely on was my gut and my intuition. There wasn't any logic that I could throw at anyone about why I should go to India and, and start to figure out how one becomes an actor in that industry because that was a complete maze and labyrinth and web of unknown in and of itself. So I, uh, I, I relied on my intuition. I didn't really talk too much about why... I was going to India. I think my parents believed I was going to study at a university in Delhi because that's what I had told them. I, so there was a little bit of a fib involved. Um, it was a white lie because I did I did actually get an admission pass to this university, but I never spent more than four hours on that campus. Uh, and then I went to Bombay to start figuring out how one auditions and, you know, what is the process. So it was just a wild ride and I had nothing but my gut to kind of guide me. And there's a lot of power in that, I think. And I think we, as we grow older, fear comes to become a guiding force because we've been told no or somebody has said something that we start to believe about ourselves. And uh, I went through a lot of those things in my career. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like I made the decision to go from Australia to India and then it was plain sailing. I had a number of challenges posed after I got to India, which... I would still say is probably one of the most difficult periods of my life, you know, being very, very young in a new country, uh, believing that you're finding belonging because you're in your ancestral home, but yet being a fish out of water and yet being a foreigner and having to reconcile identity on a constant basis, uh, just as I did in Australia. But, you know, obviously the parameters were slightly different. So I do think that for anyone who, you know, is trying to figure out whether or not they can take risks and whether or not pathways that haven't been obvious to them are open. It's really about finding the guiding force within you. It's the, the, in situations like this, you're not going to have mentorship in the same way that you might have if you were following a traditional career path, and that's unfortunate and that's something I would like to change. But um, we need to make sure that... That, that we have self-belief and that the no isn't an obstacle. That is amazing. And I guess um, one of the things that it really is how you're looking at that journey and understanding how to make it easier for others and how to make help, help them through that. And I wanted to share with you that we're here today as well to, to capture this incredible journey, but we wanted to let you know that you will be the winner of the Arts Award. Oh my God. Thank you so much. That's so generous. That's so generous. I'm embarrassed. I'm not used to winning anything. Yeah, there's there's so many elements of what you're doing and giving back. Thank you so much. The voice that you've really been able to bring and it's just fantastic. Thank you so much, Joanna. I really appreciate it. It's um my parents will be very proud. <laughs> Tell me, um, and, and thinking about uh, with your parents, why do you think this award would mean something to them and why does it mean something to you? Oh, well, I think one of my, I suppose, grievances when I was younger was feeling like I was all alone in this quest. And, you know, a big part of what I believed in my whole life was that the hyphen 
of my identity, the hyphenated identity and existence that I lead was incredibly valuable and powerful. And it was like a boon. It was a strength. And it was that I'm very fortunate that I had very, I have to commend my teachers at school. I went to a great school, both high school, primary school, university, where they always made me feel like I was capable of doing well. And uh, I think that that was probably a bigger influence in my own parents growing up in terms of how I formed my sense of self and my my capabilities. And then when I was, so when I went to India and all of a sudden I was devoid of that support and those, no systems to sort of give me a pat on the back and say, we'll catch you if you fall or please take risks, um, we're watching over you. And I was totally alone. I didn't even have, I guess, a familial uh, or parental support group to to go to and say, this is what I'm doing and it's incredibly hard because culturally what I chose to do is incongruous with the academic family that I grew up in. And so there was this extra layer of pressure and there was an extra layer of guilt and shame and so many things that become embroiled in your personal journey, particularly for many children of immigrants where those cultures do have a lot of that. And, and you know, my parents are wonderful people. It's unwitting that that was passed down to me, I would say. But a consequence of that was that I, I, went, I went upon this journey extremely alone and um, didn't really talk about how hard it was at the time that it was very hard. And today, I think my parents see that. They see what the last decade has been and they've they've witnessed me go from Bollywood then choosing to come back to Australia when and almost dismantle a career I had built from scratch because I believed so strongly in my Australian heritage and the fact that I should be able to work in the country of my birth um, because I feel so strongly about being an Australian woman. And I think they've just witnessed me crusade in a way through my work um, because I believe in in that identity so strongly and it's now an incredible source of joy for them and pride that the choices they made have um, in some sense enabled this for me and I think they're proud Australian people. My, my father always says my daughter went to India and she did the hard yaka all on her own. <laughs> Uh, and and so for him, it's an example of a an identity that he's incredibly passionate about. So, you know, he's a very active community member and, you know, coaches senior citizens in the Indian-Australian community on civic matters. And my parents have made a wonderful contribution to um, Australian society through their work bringing together communities and I think their legacy and their example has has led me here so it's it's not separate from from who they are I'm just enjoying this conversation so much no it's totally my wheelhouse in fact last year what of part of the work that I did was a lot of consultation with arts bodies in Australia during covid including um the the arts center in melbourne and i've worked with the australian ballet in the past and i've done a lot of pro bono work just behind the scenes to talk about how representation can be imbued at a structural level in in these arts institutions and it's something you know i've as someone who has been who grew from the community arts in melbourne and has seen 
the politics of that has seen um, the vibrant community aspect of it, but also the us and them that becomes that gets created and sort of the gaze, the outside in gaze of oh here are our multicultural performers or here are our people from outside of the box, you know, and the othering that happens through that. Uh, it's a big part of of my work in terms of understanding that. I'd, I'd like to say my research, but my research has been more personal and anthropolo anthropological. I always say that my career is an anthropological experiment for all of the things that um, I was looking at when I was in my late teens. In fact, my dissertation as part of my media degree was on the representation of South Asian diasporas in Australia on screen culture. And this is you know, when I was 18 and 19 and no one was talking about this stuff and I did an ethnographic study across Australia of people from Bangladeshi background, Pakistani background, Nepali background, Indian background, um, to talk about how they felt when culture that was created from Bollywood within Australia or within diasporic global citizen groups, um, how that altered their image of themselves and the way that they felt that they were being represented on screen. And it was so telling to go through that exercise because I was one of those people, but I wanted to know that that was a shared consciousness. Um, and I had various conclusions that I came up with, you know, as my undergraduate <laughs> dissertation. But since then, it's been so interesting to observe it play out through my work in various um, territories because I've worked in the UK, I've worked in the US, I've also represented women of the Indian diaspora from different backgrounds. And, you know, I've played women from India over different eras as well. So in a way, I've been able to, through my work, chart that experience and the diversity of that experience and break down that it's not a monolith, the way that we look at um, South Asians in particular on screen. But I think that this is a phenomenon that a lot of people with non-white background experience um, in relation to screen representation. So anyway, I totally love these conversations is my point. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And, and, and likewise, and, and how on the front foot you were with that dissertation, it almost like charted where you were going and no wonder that sort of informed the challenges and the systemic, even if it wasn't framed in today's language, but understanding it's almost like a bookend to the journey, you know, doing that research then and doing that research now and, and then all the experiences in between. I had one question and let's say advice to those with a hyphenated identity and, and um, particularly as they embark on their careers, consider moving overseas, what advice do you have for young people when they're still working through some of those identity issues? I think that the circumstances now are possibly a little bit further along than when they were, than where they were when I was a young thing. Um, and, but, but I do know that as diasporas change, as new waves of migrants come, new challenges are faced. I think that's also... Indian children of Indian migrants that arrived 20 years ago, say, as students, uh, as part of the, the international student program, will have a completely different upbringing and value system and setting to how I grew up uh, in the 90s when my parents came as skilled migrants. Because 
also the the specificity of where those communities come from in different parts of India or abroad that changes. So it's it's very. I think we have to always understand that there are there's a very distinct specificity to that experience with every wave of migration, and um, it requires kind of an in-depth look, uh, and and we need to acknowledge that. However, I think with the idea of belonging, which I think is something that really plagues people with multi-hyphenated identity, I would just really urge people to say, to, to say or look at themselves as the the sum of, of everything. You know, we always look at our, we look at outside of ourselves for belonging and for acceptance so often. And that is unfortunately culturally how Australia often breeds us. There's this idea of needing to fit in and be a part of the pack. And, you know, the, the common values of Australiana are touted as universal, but yet often they're quite exclusive because they're, they're, they're sticking to one paradigm. And, I just think that, you know, working on the self and going inward is, is something that we should do at a young age. And I think that that can really bring a lot of strength and a lot of that intuitive um, mindset that, that will actually drive you forward. Because looking outside of ourselves, it's the, the goalposts are never ending and they're always changing. So um, I think that that's something that we're not necessarily taught, or at least I wasn't taught traditionally through education that, um, you know, the inner self is is a big part of who we are and, and how we need to work through these things. So powerful and, and uh, looking outside for acceptance and that, that sense of culturally that we're, you've got to conform. We don't think of ourselves as a conforming sort of society. I think Australia has a dual, a, a dual it's a double-edged sword in Australia because I think, you know, you can grow up feeling... If, if you fall, if you if you take part in the culture of self-deprecation and you know it's all right you can call me a name today and I'm going to have a laugh about it um, and that's going to mean that I'm okay in this group it, it really starts to erode the line of where you start to really stand up for yourself and who you are and I think that that's a really great area that we sometimes get wrong in Australia um, I love being candid with my Australian friends. I love being able to have a laugh and being loud and boisterous. I miss that part of who I am often when I'm not in Australia. But uh, it is a particularity that you have to buy into almost. So it's a very thin veil, um, which kind of masks some of the underlying issues that are always beneath the surface. So, you know, if we can lift that veil a little bit and um, really speak with understanding and empathy and seeing and hearing and not just uh, assimilate and then you're one of us. Um, I think that that's going to be something that has to tweak at the individual level across the board because I think as a collective we've just become a little bit complacent in that culture. Yeah, I I feel like there must be a book in the works somewhere, Pallavi, for you. Yeah, there's definitely something there. I've I've put it on pause many times, including this year, so this conversation's inspiring me to get cracking again. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode. For more on the winners of the 2021 Advance Awards, please go to our website, advance.org. You can scroll through and learn more about over 150 game changers who have been recognised by Advance over the last 10 years.